the gods look down on us mortals with both blessings and displeasure. They cannot speak nor make themselves known, but they can show us their intention. Omens and portents must be interpreted so we can live the lives they deem right for us. And those who are ignorant or willfully look away, find themselves lost and doomed, and all they build crumbles into ash. This is a watch party of ice and fire. We are, uh, this is a, I guess, a special uh, edition of uh, this is a watch party of Eyes and Fire. Uh, we uh, are a little short. We had some council members who had some other things going on. So today it will be just Constance. Hello. And myself, Sam. Our other hosts, Solar, uh, Morgan, and Uzma, are out this week. Um, but yeah, we'll get right into it. Uh, in this podcast, we'll be talking everything and anything a Water of Ice and Fire. Uh, in this episode, we are talking about the third episode of House of the Dragon, second of his name. In this episode, three years have passed. It is Viserys' firstborn son, Aegon II's name day, uh, and the royal hunt for a white heart is on. Um, we get our first look at the Lannister twins, Jason and Tyland Lannister. We see Rhaenyra's uh, marriage proposals cause a very public fight between Rhaenyra and Viserys and encourage him to drink very heavily. Uh, Rhaenyra and Kristen Cole, aka Sir Sexy, become closer after Rhaenyra ditches the hunt and they kill an attacking boar. Uh, Viserys kills a large stag, but Rhaenyra is the one to enjoy the splendor of the White Heart. Uh, in the Stepstones, mutiny is brewing as Damon and Corlys are losing to Krakos Drehar and the Triarchy while their forces are being out overworked. Uh, after receiving word from Viserys, who is sending reinforcements, Damon puts the team on his back and storms the Crab Feeder. Uh, with a little help from Caraxes and the Valerian forces, they defeat the Triarchy and Damon takes over, takes down the Crab Feeder. So it was a pretty loaded episode. Yeah, I I love the ending when uh, Sea Smoke sweeps in and just starts laying everything on fire. It's like yes, yes that's you know, it. Sea more smoke, dragons, yes. more dragons. Yes. It was so cool. I mean, it, yeah. I, I, I was like every, the whole time for I think it was till the very end of the episode. I was like, who is that? Who what is that? What dragon is that? It was like <laughs> blowing my mind. It was so cool. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, but uh, be sure to pay close attention as you can elevate your maester's rank and win links and prizes by listening to the podcast and answering our trivia. Uh, but before we get into the episode, we are starting with our segment for the love of lore, where I'll be going over anything involving history, culture, and customs in the world of ice and fire. Uh, and then the council, which today is just me and Constance, will discuss the lore and how it affects the current episode. In today's lore, we're talking about the Triarchy. So the Triarchy is made up of the free cities Mir, Lys, and Turosh. Uh, they have many names. They've been known as the Kingdom of the Three Daughters, the, the Three Quarrelsome Daughters, or more rudely, the Kingdom of the Three Whores. Uh, all located on the southwest corner of Essos by the Stepstones um, surrounding the what is known as the Disputed Lands. Um, it's run by the High Council of the Triarchy, which is made up of 33 wealthy magisters, um, 11 from each city. Um, all the cities are slave cities. It's... Uh, it's rumored that for um, there are three slaves for every one freeman. Um, Mir is on is one of the cities known for their art, uh, specifically their lace and tapestry. Uh, they're said to be known their weight in gold and spice. Uh, Lys is another city where the blood of Valyria still runs strong, and many people still have pale hair and purple eyes. They're known for their pillow houses and bed slaves. Also known for making poisons like the Tears of Lys or the Strangler. And then we have Tarosh which are the people are known for being flamboyant and dyeing their hair and beards different colors. Um, they get these dyes from a certain variety of snails. So, so Tarosh is basically known for these very colorful dyes coming from these snails. Uh, all three cities were colonized by the Valyrians way back in the day. Uh, after the Doom of Valyria, the time period known as the Century of Blood, um, all three cities began their never-ending war with each other. Um, they mostly fought over the disputed lands and the stepstones. Um, the disputed lands had very fertile and rich land, uh, but during the Century of Blood, all this battling over this area eventually just turned the land into a wasteland. Um, the free cities are known for using mainly sellswords. Um, the sellsword companies, uh, more sellsword companies have originated in the steps or in, in the disputed lands more than anywhere else. 
Uh, many companies are actually still active in the, in the disputed lands. The, step, uh, the Stepstones are a chain of rocky islands that divides the Narrow Sea from the Summer Sea. Um, this area is extremely important considering it's a major sea lane for trade, so it's, it's strategically important. Um, it's consistently populated by pirate dens. Um, they do not have a consistent leader in the Stepstones, but many have ruled there over a short period of time. Um, the Three Daughters, um, Pirates, and all others have claimed the Stepstones, starting multiple conflicts over the years, and it was not odd for the Targaryen dynasty to actually interfere in these conflicts due to the disruption of trade. Um, the Stepstones themselves used to actually be a part of Dorne. Um, they used to be the bridge that connected uh, Westeros with Essos. Um, the first men actually used what was called the Arm of Dorne, uh, to begin invading Westeros, they would come from Essos to Westeros using the Arm of Dorne. Um, the Green Seers and the Children of the Forest, in response, used magic to break the Arm of Dorne to basically cut off the First Men from coming, from bringing more of them over to Westeros. Um, Taroche was actually settled by Valyria uh, to monitor trade through the Stepstones, but then after the Doom, uh, the disputes over the Stepstones began, as we've talked about. Um, and this was like especially big between the three daughters. Um, around 96 AC, Volantis moved in on the disputed lands, and in response, the three quarrelsome daughters, Lee, Smear, Tarosh, came together to create the Triarchy. Um, they drove Volantis out of the disputed lands, and Kragos Drehar, who we've seen as the crab feeder in the show, uh, took the Triarchy's fleet and cleared out the Stepstones. Um, they took control of the Stepstones and exacted tolls of for ship, any ships traveling through uh, for trade. Westeros and the Targaryen dynasty initially um, approved of this. They were like, yeah, get rid of the pirates. Cool, love that. Uh, but eventually, um, Krakos and the Triarchy raised the tolls, getting greedy, and they were even enslaving some people that were coming on through and sending them back to Essos. Uh, one of those people who was enslaved was uh, Joanna Swan, who was a noblewoman from House Swan, uh, her uncle, when she was um, kidnapped, uh, sh her uncle refused to pay her ransom, and so they sold her to a pillow house, and then she ended up becoming a high-profile courtesan and pretty much the unofficial ruler of Lys, which I thought was like a pretty yeah, cool Yeah, I think they story. mentioned her, didn't they, when they're talking? The women think, were saying, I, oh, what's going to happen to her? So I think yes, she got a okay. shout-out. <laughs> I thought that might have been something. There might have been like a little side conversation. So, yeah. She deserves a shout out. That's yeah. like a pretty awesome thing that she was like, oh, you're not going to pay my ransom? Cool. I'll just take over lease. So, uh, but yeah, all of that brings us to the dispute between Corliss and Daemon with the Triarchy, which we saw the culmination happen uh, in the, our latest episode. Uh, Constance, what do you think of the Triarchy, the Stepstones, all that good stuff? Uh, well, I personally am annoyed by the Tarashi. Uh, just because uh, if you've ever read the books, that's where Dario is from, Dario Naharis. And if you've ever read the description of Dario, his hair and his beard are dried bright blue and his mustache is dyed bright gold, which they obviously didn't do in the TV series because that's gaudy as all fuck. Uh, <laughs> but the Taroshi uh, were able to dye things like deep reds and deep purples which weren't really necessarily something that they had in the middle ages uh so that's why they can get away with having such elaborate colors and i believe the bravosi have like purple sails on their fleet ships yeah yep. because they yep. get their dyes from tyrosh and that purple is you know something that they wouldn't have had in the middle ages or in a medieval fantasy kind of realm so i i think it's a fun it's a fun story point i mean it's a very different culture than westeros they did have some good points in the getting rid of the pirates and kind of establishing a trade line. But, you know, the whole part about staking Corliss's men for the crabs to eat and capturing people and selling them into pillow houses. Not cool. Not cool. Yeah. And and very unnecessary. They yeah, didn't need it. And so I could see why Damon and Corliss would say, look, this is a threat. This is going to be a this is going to pose a challenge to our authority as, you know, this is too close to our territory for our liking. Uh, so I think that this was a fun, a fun history lesson, giving us a little more backstory as to what's going on over there and why it's important that they fight this war. And not just because the for two sure. of them feel like, oh, we need to go swing our dicks around <laughs> to prove, prove yeah. we're impressive. Yeah. And 
And Corollas even mentions, too, it's, like, so bad for... I think he was losing a lot of money oh, due yeah. to the Stepstones, which makes a lot of sense as well, which I thought was interesting that the Crown is was not... That, 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 like, the Crown was not thinking of it being a serious issue. I thought that was interesting that they're like, eh, whatever, it's a couple bucks here and there. Like, I thought that that was interesting that they were, like, just so... I guess you could almost say, like, ignorant to the fact that it was, like, going to become an issue. Uh, it's probably partially Otto, because Otto obviously doesn't like Corliss. True. So, I mean, yeah. he's going to downplay anything that doesn't benefit him or his agenda. And having Corliss with more power and more authority from the crown does not sit well with him. I mean, you know, we don't, we don't, tr- none of us trust Otto Hightower here. So <laughs> we're <gonna laughs> probably bit, blame everything on him every chance we get just because it's about <laughs> right. Yeah. Which I think is fair. Yeah. I think, uh, I think we're usually pretty right to say that about yeah. Otto. He's kind of a dick. And so. to quote Solar. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> there you go, Solar. That's for you. Yeah. It's like he's actually here. <laughs> Gotta throw that out. Oh, yeah. That's that's my view on the Stepstones. What do you think about it? I mean, you've given us a big history lesson, but what's your personal thought? Uh, I, I actually, this is one of my more uh, fun ones to do a little, to put together. I, like, I think that the three daughters are so interesting because, like, they are like you know they're mercantile towns and like being a merchant there is like more honorable than like being a warrior or being like a lord or something but i think the irony of of that being like they care so much about like trade Mm -hmm. but then they all fight with each other constantly so i feel like it's a it's like kind of an irony of like okay we uh all we care about really is the merchant stuff we're just trying to make money but then they just like all fight each other all the yeah. time. So I also think it's funny that they just hire cell swords. Like have like half the time they're actually battling each other. It's none of their men. It's just a bunch of people that they hired. So I don't know. I, I find that part kind of interesting as well. Yeah. And it's it's interesting that they're hired and they're not slaves. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there was definitely I know I'm pretty sure most of those cities too at least some well maybe not most but i know some of them actually do have unsullied soldiers but a lot of them use unsullied soldiers as more like security mm-hmm. guards rather than like an actual army so which go figure why would you use like probably the most skilled fighters in essos and those but whatever i'm you know not for me to say i guess yeah i guess they want to save their money yeah, yeah. they're really that expensive <laughs> yeah but that is our uh, For the Love of Lore segment. Uh, moving on, we have the Dragons in the Details, where today Constance will be going over small de- details you may have missed in the episode, as well as the fantastic costumes, props, and sets used. Okay. After you, Constance. Great. So let's see if I could share my screen successfully without flashing everyone my desktop. All right. So let's take a look here at what we've got. So this is for our first little example is Rhaenyra in the Godswood when Alicent comes to visit her. She's reading the same book that she was reading in episode one. It's the book about Nymeria and the thousand ships sailing to Dorne. You can see that there's on the cover the sun with the ship inside of it. And she's also listening to the the bard sing about Nymeria and the thousand ships. So this is like the equivalent of reading uh, reading your book while listening to the audiobook at the same time. <laughs> so she's uh, she's doing that when Allison, you can see others, Allison there, comes to say, you're coming with us to the hunt. And she's like, no, I don't want to go. Uh, the second shot we have here is the war table with the Valarian forces represented by the dolphins here on the right and a couple of their ships. And then the crabsmen are represented by pincers. And the jawbones of some animals are representing Sea Smoke and Caraxes, the two dragons that they have, Leonor and Damon's dragons, both. I think it's kind of cool that they use the crab pincers. It's to almost be a bit too on point. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's like we've seen examples of these tables before in other shots, you know, where they have like the painted table with all the different forces and there's one in in the original series that has the Starks and the Lannisters and all the different things represented by really ornately carved little war figures and here we have a couple <laughs> of rough wooden boats and a bunch I guess of they like pincers. left they left all their stuff at home I guess now there's something true or or you know they've been here for 3 years it's and they're as as they say they're like their forces are decimated they're low on rations they're going to lose so it's not too surprising that they're using <laughs> makeshift crap in order to try to pull off a war council. 
Now, there's this little thingy here on the side that I don't know what it is, but we'll take a closer look at that later. It's, it looks like some kind of sea mine or something. I'm not sure. Uh, but our next shot here is the Kingswood. And you can see there's the Red Keep in the background, so you can kind of have an idea of how far away they are. Now, the Kingswood is a private hunting area reserved exclusively for the king and those that he wants to go hunting with him in the king's wood uh, some there's some small folk villages in the king's wood but they're under certain laws and restrictions on what they can and can't do with the animals and the plants this is actually based on ancient medieval law in england and uh, france mostly um, where it was designed to protect the venison and the ver the noble animals of the chase such as red and fallow deer roe deer and wild boar and all the plants that they sustained them. These were hunting areas designated by the monarch or the aristocracy, and it was actually introduced in England by the Normans, again, so the French and the English, as far back as the 11th century. Uh, this was practiced a lot in the 12th and 13th centuries, and fully one-third of the land area of southern England was designated as a royal forest. Now, being invited to one of these hunts was a very prestigious gesture. It showed the king wanted your company, he trusted you, he liked you, they trusted you to be armed with a bow in his presence and that you were worthy enough to take the animals from the forest. As you can see here, and as we saw in the episode, it's a big frickin' party. There are servants, there are cooks, there are grooms, there are huntsmen. There's a whole big retinue of servants that comes along with this. In addition to all the loyal, all the lords, their servants, their guards, their families... I mean, it was a big thing to be a part of a royal hunt. Um, now, we saw that when Robert Baratheon had a royal hunt, the one where he's gored by the boar and ends up eventually dying in you know, Game of Thrones, it was a small affair compared to this. Not, not only was the budget smaller then, but there was a representation of this is the pomp and the circumstance of the Targaryen dynasty. Um, what do you think about this, Sam? What's what's your take on the royal hunt party? <laughs> it's pretty blown up. I mean, like, I think uh, I wasn't... Whenever, like, they did the previews for, like, this episode and the last one, I had, like, no idea. I thought it was just, like, a little party. I had no idea that it was going to be, like, an entire... That it was just for the hunt. Like, I knew there was a hunt, but I didn't realize they were like, yeah, we're going to throw down for, like, three days just for to hunt some deer. Like, I, I think that it was really cool. Yeah. I liked... I, I didn't real know the fact about um, that there are small towns in the Kingswood. I had no idea that that was a thing. So I, that's like a really interesting fact. And that they're mm -hmm. like kind of limited to what they can do in there too. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. 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 That's So the Kingswood was mostly reserved for the king and his buddies to go hunting in. And as you can see, they, they tracked down and caught the most noble beast in the whole forest and saved it so that the king could kill yeah. it. How very uh, country club of them. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. It's like here's here's the prize, the prize buck. It's it's not the one we wanted. It's not the white heart, and we'll and we'll discuss the white heart when we get to the fire and blood segment. But here's the 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 most elaborate, most fanciful beast. We want you to have the honor of killing yeah. it. Say what you want about Robert Baratheon. He was at least out there actually hunting it, not sitting. Oh yeah, so. he at least did he did his own work. He wasn't he wasn't one for the pomp and circumstance. He was there for the yeah. party. But he wasn't there for all the ceremony. No. Bobby B wanted to go and hunt some some deer. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was a party boy. Uh, all right. So let's talk about the coffee cup in the room. <laughs> to put a turn of phrase. Oh, oh no. Um, they, yeah. They, they had a little uh, CGI error here. Uh, when he's handing the letter over to be delivered to his brother. You could see that he's got green, so green uh, finger sleeves on. Or little green socks on his fingers. Uh, because they're supposed to go in and CGI those out. <laughs> Oops. Just a little mistake. A um, little mistake. But here's the interesting thing. Okay, so when we saw him three years ago, he was having the pinky finger eaten away by maggots. I mean, how could we forget that, right? That was, that was pretty gross. Um, but now he's also lost his second finger, his ring finger. So it's whatever it is, this, this gangrene, this, this sickness is spreading, but it's not just like going through his entire hand. It's just going through his fingers. So how did the second finger, how did he lose the second finger? Did he cut himself again on the iron throne? Interesting. I mean, what do you, yeah, we don't know how he lost that second finger. We just know he lost yeah. it. I mean, I guess like if, it, if we're going off of, was that, so in the last one, was it the pinky finger that got cut? Yeah, on the... the pinky finger that got cut on the Iron Throne, and then that was the one that he had in the maggot bath. Yeah. 
and now he's lost two fingers. So I'd imagine. I mean, it's got to be the throne. I'm. I'm yeah. gonna assume it's the throne. But. Yeah. I mean, we know he's got those weeping sores on his back, as well. Yep. Um. Somebody suggested it could be diabetes. Interesting. Without having regular insulin production, he could have lost the finger due to poor blood. But normally with diabetes, it's more like the toes and the sure, feet sure. than the fingers. So yeah. I don't know. But it's it's just something I wanted to point out here. I mean, like I said, it's the coffee cup in the room. <laughs> it's Yeah. <laughs> somebody... I think like, I think, I mean, I guess like, to, I feel like to keep up with like the show, I feel like the throne would make a lot of sense. And they've yeah. already, I feel like, hinted at the throne kind of like causing you know him to be like ill or his fingers to get cut yeah. so like i feel like if anything there like that it's like just more foreshadowing foreshadowing of like maybe the throne is gonna be the thing so yeah yeah so that's that's that uh here's the little spiky ball i was looking at um uh, it looks like a mace like like one of those ball and chain maces a morning star that's the word i'm looking for uh but it's like on a it's sitting there on the table, so I don't know what it is. Like, is it a sea mine? Is it supposed to represent something? Right. And then there's this weird thing in the back here that looks like coral, maybe? Is that supposed to be the, the crab feeder himself? I don't know. It, yeah. It looks like some weird little coral statue thing. Maybe it's like both. I mean, maybe both of them are like home bases, I guess. Yeah. That could be like where they're located. Yeah, because they are the only two. I can't see any other ones that are like a little yeah. different. Because you've got so. the crab feeder. You've got the crabs. Yeah. You've got the two dragon, dragon yep. jaw bones. You've got the little fish that represents Corliss's men. And then you've got this weird like tubular thing here. And then you've got the, the morning star ball. And so yeah. I have no idea what those are. <laughs> weird. Weird. Yeah. Just something that I noticed. And now we're going to talk about Allison's costuming. Uh, Allison is wearing all red and all gold in this, which is appropriate since she's now a Targaryen queen and red is one of their traditional ancestral colors. Black being the other one, and we usually see Viserys in black. Um, but something that we've, I've noticed is that in addition to the fact that she's wearing all red, their servants wear red. Right? Red with gold, gold over tunics. That's the color that all the nannies are wearing when they're taking care of little Aegon. It's the color that all the background servants are wearing. Uh, so I just find it kind of interesting that she's dressed all in red and gold as well. Huh. The kind of, perhaps it's signifying that she's become a servant to the crown in that she's, you know, popping out babies, which is the job of a queen. Um, she's got some beautiful details on this costume, though. I mean, you can see she's got that fur cloak on when they first arrive. That kind of reminds me of the fur cloak from Beauty and the Beast. So that's something that any any girl you know, my age would probably want to have, just because it's a happy memory. Uh, but then she's got this beautiful crimson satin on with uh, brocade sleeves in what we call a bolin cut, because they're very full. Uh, but they've got these really interesting clasps going up the sides here, and you can see that in that picture. And she's obviously extremely pregnant with their second child. Uh, her hair's pulled back into a goldenette with little jewels adorning it. And she's got a little pretty necklace on. But it's the fact that she's dressed in the same color as the servants that stood out to me. Even though it's a finer dress, it's obviously much fancier since she is queen. And red is an official Targaryen color. Just the fact that they put her in that kind of just stood out to me probably from a symbolic symbolic era but sure that's all that i've got today for dragons in the details so i'm gonna cool. go ahead and turn that off cool do you think like for like allison was like so viserys was like pretty much all in black and then like allison being in red do you think it was just there to like represent both colors kind of of, of the targaryens or do you think it was just i don't know no, I think, well, red is their house color. And sure. the king the king usually wears black. I don't think we've ever seen him in anything other than black. Oh, that's really. true. Yeah. Black with red embroidery or red beadwork or dragon embossed, you know, kind of things. Uh, but for the queen, wearing black is just a little too severe for her. She's still young. I mean, she's what, 18, 19? Yeah, I think they said Rhaenyra was 17 in this. So yeah, yeah she'd and, be around there. And yeah. we know that she's a little bit older. It's three years from now. She was at least 15 yep. when she married Viserys. So it's been three, four years, almost, th almost three years. Okay. If he's two. Uh, so, yeah, I think that she wouldn't wear black. It 
it's a little too severe for her. It's not really sure. one of her colors. So wearing red as part of the Targaryen color scheme does make sense. But again, there's visual choices that they, they make to represent these things. And the fact that she's wearing red and gold and that she's constantly surrounded by the nannies mm-hmm. makes me think that that was, a, that was a choice that they went for for, for symbolism. Yeah. I could be wrong. They could just say, hey, this is a great color on her. Let's put this on her. Because, you know, every every shoe is sometimes just a shoe. Sure. Uh, not everything has symbolism involved. But yeah. it's hard to say with this, this, this team. They are really good about their details. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I, and I feel like in a lot of this episode, you, I feel like the, the servants were the ones that were really taking Aegon a lot more than Alicent was taking care of, mm-hmm. of Aegon. So, like... Maybe the red was, like, a way to be, like, okay, yeah, she's not taking care of Aegon, but, like, she's in red, so, like, she could take care of Aegon if needed or something like that. Yeah, because yeah. most, most highborn women didn't take care of their own babies. Right. They didn't even always nurse them. They'd have a wet nurse or they'd have a, a nanny to do that kind of deal, detail. Yeah. But, yeah, she does occasionally hold him and, and take care of him, so that's kind of nice. But, you know, yeah. he's two now, so he doesn't need his mommy all the time. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so that's that's my segment. There we go. Cool, cool. And now we move on to our main segment, Fire and Blood, where the whole council, me and Constance today, uh, <laughs> will dig into some of the biggest moments that came up in the episode. And I have some questions from Morgan to ask. Awesome. Uh, kicking it off like we usually do, what was our favorite moment or character of the episode? Constance? Favorite moment was probably Rhaenyra taking off on the horse. Uh, she'd had enough. You know, we had we had Lannister McMac Daddy hitting on her, and that was just oh god, so cringeworthy, <laughs> so cringeworthy. Yeah, it was no. not great. So you can't blame her. I mean, she gets in a fight with her dad. She finds out her dad's like trying to marry her off to this sleazy, sleazy dude. And she's like, fuck this noise, I'm out. He just came in so, like, so aggressive. Like, you know, it's like, like, I get that, like, she's supposed to get, like, she's, you know, like, their whole, like, she's got to get married, she's got to get married. But, like, at least, like, ease into it a little bit, you know? I don't, like, hey, here's some wine. Be cool if we got married. It's like, whoa. It reminded me, again, the Beauty and the Beast comparisons. It reminded me of Gaston proposing to Belle in Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) It's just like that. <laughs> you know, my little wife massaging my feet while the while the little ones play by the fire. We'll have three or four <laughs> dogs. No, children, Bell. God, I can't believe I could quote most of that. <laughs> but no, it was the same kind of principle where it's like the, yes, I am perfect for you and I will be your husband and you will be my happy little wife and you will live with me in my castle and it's worthy of you and... I'll even build a pit for your dragon because you're going to come live with me. And she's like, yeah, uh, I'm what? Hello? And I'm going to give a spear to your dad and everything's going to be great. And now we're, yeah. Yeah, it's like, here's here's a bribe. You know, it's like, talk about compensating for something. Here's a spear. <laughs> here's a giant spear. I want to marry your daughter. But yeah, I mean, he like, he, he did so bad that he struck out with Rhaenyra and Viserys. Yeah. Like, he really had a bad day. But that's Lannister ego for you. I mean, very true. It's it's nice to see the Lannisters in fine form, where they think they own the world, and then get shut down immediately. And then get shut down. Yeah, that was kind of fun. <laughs> so that was my favorite. Thought was was I guess I have to say the Lannister proposal was my favorite part, <laughs> followed by the ride out of there because it's like the thing with Christian Kale and the boar, whatever. I don't care. He's yeah. boring to me. It's just too pretty. <laughs> But the the Lannister proposal was hilarious. So yeah, that was good stuff. Yeah. What yeah. what did you think? What was your favorite part? Oh man, uh, there's like there was like a bunch of good stuff. I feel like in this episode, I really I thought on the other side, like you, you what your favorite was Rhaenyra, um, riding the horse out. I think one of my favorite scenes was her walking back in, like all bloody with the boar behind mm-hmm. her. Kind of like everyone was like, oh shit. And even the that the look on the Lannisters' face, I thought was especially good because they were like, "What the fuck? Like, what is happening?" Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think that uh, um, Jason immediately was like, "Oh yeah, I, I should have probably not asked her to get married. That was my bad." But uh, no, I, I like that scene a lot, and I think just like, I mean, 
I gotta go with the Damon just storming, storming the beach, going after yeah. Kragos, the crab feeder. I thought that that was just like, you know, that was like for a, that was like the Chad scene for me. I thought it was so cool. He's just like running through everybody, going straight up, and then all of a sudden everyone surrounds him, and and then Sea Smoke comes in, and I thought that was just like every every part of that I thought was really cool because we've seen these like massive battles in Game of Thrones. And this was like a this was like a big battle, but it wasn't to like the scale we've seen. But it was still like so well done. So I, I yeah. really like that scene as well. It was fun to watch Damon kick some ass, right? Yeah, I mean yeah. he's we know he's a formidable fighter. We saw him at the tourney, but we've never seen him completely unleashed. And this was a really good chance for him to just plow through people. I wish they had shown the fight with him and the crab feeder. I would have yes. loved to have seen that. Yeah. Ugh, frustrating. He just walks out with half a corpse. It's like, oh, yeah. where's they made the... It e- <laughs> they made it even that much worse, too, by being like, yeah, they had a fight. And, he- and then him dragging out half the corpse is like, okay, you should have shown that. That would have been cool. Yeah, that would have been bitching. But watching, yeah. you know, watching C- originally when they had Caraxes coming in and strafing and then you had Sea Smoke coming in. Uh, that was the other thing that was missing. Where was Caraxes? Why didn't yeah. they have Caraxes yeah. attacking at the same time as Sea Smoke? I mean, the two right. of them together really could have torn everything up now that they've lured everybody out of hiding. For sure. But yeah, yeah. That, that's a good choice is that that fight was a lot of fun. For sure. All right. So what are your thoughts on the symbolism of all the animals? The boar, the red stag, the white heart, any others that you can think of? Well, uh, the stag has always been a symbol of like virility and power that's part of why it's the baratheon coat of arms right i mean it's it's a symbol of that kind of thing and they even said that the white stag was a symbol of nobility before the targaryen dragon i mean they mentioned that so i'm wondering if that's something the first children or the first men brought over with them uh probably the first men i'd say because the symbol they have a lot of religious symbolism in the faith of the seven uh, and the white stag actually has a lot of religious symbolism in the real world as well. Um, are you familiar at all with any of the, the stories or the, the history surrounding the white stag in the use? I'm of not, that? No. no. Okay. So it, it, uh, according to the wiki page, uh, they believed that it was like an, it was an omen indeed. And it could be like a sign of good things to come or a sign of change, whether good or bad. Uh, it was sometimes seen as a taboo that when you saw one, you were doing something wrong. And it was also associated with like the forest gods, uh, like Herne the Hunter in English mythology. That was an old, uh, wild god of the green wood and, um, protector of the forests. It was also a symbol in Christianity uh, that it was um, seen by a, a, a martyr named St. Eustace, who had a vision of the white stag. It was also a symbol of purity uh, because of its beauty, the white color of it. A uh, white stag isn't actually an albino. It's called a leucism. It's a genetic pattern that reduces the pigment. But the eyes stay brown instead of being pink. Interesting. Um, so they do they do appear on occasion. It's it's always said to be an omen or a sign, uh, either of the other world or of um, purity, because of that color. So for a white stag to be seen in the Kingswood is definitely an omen that something big is going to happen. There's either going to be a change or it's, it's considered a blessing because it is a symbol of purity and power. Uh, and it's said to be extremely elusive and extremely hard to kill. It's said to be smarter, the king of the forests. So the fact that it's, um, the fact that it's appearing is uh, a beautiful thing. And in fact, if you've ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that's how they, at the very end of the story, that's how they go back from Narnia into the real world. They are chasing the white stag. And also, that's the Patronus used by Harry Potter. Okay. 
the white stag. So it's interesting. It's something that you see in more than so the fact that they're using it is a very much uh, part of the symbolism of protection, strength, purity, royalty, uh, all these qualities that they would want to ascribe to a future king. So it's it's an interesting bit of mythology that they've worked into Game of Thrones here as as part of the series. Uh, sure. The other animals all represent power. Boar, stag, the heart. Uh, killing a boar is no easy feat. They are nasty motherfuckers. <laughs> I mean, obviously one of them gored Robert Baratheon and killed him. Right. The wild boar can weigh upwards of like several hundred pounds. Damn. And their, their, their tusks are extremely sharp. Uh, a wild boar weighs anywhere from up to 175 to 200 pounds. Uh, sometimes males are found upward of 500 pounds. The bigger ones. So, yeah. Uh, the fact that she and Sir Christian killed one on their own is pretty impressive. That she had the strength to hold it back when it was attacking her shows that she has an inner resilience to fend off anyone that would come after her physically kind and like, mentally yeah kind of like the marriage proposals yeah yeah i mean she's got these very heavy-handed individuals coming down at her and she's able to push them back sure. so if we're looking at the symbolism of that uh that could very well be what that that scene means it also means that everybody has fresh bacon in the morning yeah uh, but yeah, so what what do you think about the animal symbolism? I mean, obviously, I've gone into a lot of the historical, real yeah. world analog, but what do you think it means from their perspective? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the way that Otto was talking about the white heart a lot is is very similar to how what you were talking about, kind of like the the like um, like change and like the kind of the royalty behind it kind of thing. Like, you, you know, Otto was just, like, chomping at the bit to be like, oh, this is about Aegon. Like, this is about him, like, our new king and all this kind of stuff. And I and I loved how, like, Viserys, you know, it took him twice to, like, kill that original stag, like, to get mm -hmm. the kill, which I feel like is also... And it wasn't the White Heart, so I feel like that was, like, symbolic in a way of, like, you're not getting what, you're, what you want and you're also, like, not even going to do it correctly or something like it's almost kind of similar to his reign in a way you know like mm -hmm. he's like can't get it right the first time um not exactly what he wanted at all and like i i really like that rainier got to see the white heart because it's almost like she's like she saw the royalty like it was almost like a symbol of just like you know you're the queen like you're mm -hmm. the you're the true queen like not Aegon, like I didn't get killed by your dad for Aegon or whatever, so. But then it's also, like, maybe part of the thing of her, like, letting the White Heart go, like, is that symbolism of her, like, missing an opportunity or, like, missing out on, like, you know, is she, like, screwing up her chances of royalty and, like, mm -hmm. by, and, like, the letting the White Heart go was, like, almost, like, a symbolism of that, so. And I think that the boar was just a symbolism of her, like, her killing the boar was basically just, like, shutting everybody up about the marriages. Like, it's, I'm going to kill this boar, I'm walking back in with it, and all you can see it. And so she's, like, shutting everybody up, being like, stop talking about marriage, stop telling me who to marry, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. What I did notice was that somebody was checking her out when she came back with a boar, and that someone was Harwin Strong. And yes. that's Lord Strong's uh, second son, uh, the heir to Harrenhal, said to be one of the strongest men in the Seven Kingdoms. He's wearing, uh, when you see him, he's wearing like a leather armor with a crest with three stripes on it, a uh, blue, red, and gold, a uh, blue, red, and green. And uh, yeah, he's uh, checking that, checking that out. <laughs> yeah. He was watching pretty closely, yeah. Oh yeah. I think uh I I thought that that reminds me of uh you know when Viserys was drinking and he was asking um Lionel for advice and Viserys just so unnecessarily ripping on uh Lionel's son and it was like okay like be easy and then Lionel was like no I wasn't gonna say that at all and it was like ooh sorry Lionel. yeah he's like I wasn't gonna go there yeah sorry but for ripping your kid to shred yeah so apologies so yeah 
Yeah, he was pretty drunk, though. I mean, yeah. he was really drunk. And we were yeah, laughing at his hangover the next morning. He was... <laughs> yeah. It's like, not only do I have to get up early to kill this deer, it's the wrong deer. <laughs> yeah. No sympathy. He did no. not have the best day. It was not no. the best second birthday for his son for himself, no. I guess. And as Rhaenyra put it, I don't remember my second name day and neither will he. <laughs> yeah. Two-year-old's parties are not for the two-year-old. <laughs> he just wanted to play with his little toy dragon. It was yeah, cute. that's all he wanted. It was a cute little thing. You're two. All you care about is toys and food. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's the fun with the symbolism in the animals and yeah. and the fact that she saw the white stag is a rep. I think I agree with you that it's a sign that she has the nobility and kind of like the blessing of the land to be king or to be queen. Mm-hmm. But if she had killed it and brought it back, that would have shut everybody up permanently. Yeah. If she had done that, if she had come back with the white stag, uh, yeah. they're like, oh, you killed it. I guess you are supposed to be queen. Okay. Um, yeah. So it might have, it, it might have, I don't know if it would have necessarily, I don't, I feel like it would have, Viserys might have been more proud, or I don't know if how he would have felt about it. Like, I, I could go, see it going either way. Like, I could see him getting mad because it was like, if Rhaenyra was trying to like steal the spotlight or I could see him being like, Oh nice. I don't have to deal with everybody like at my, like, you know, at my throat just being like, Hey, when are you going to name Aegon King? But I know Otto definitely would not have been Mm -hmm. happy about it. No, I would have loved the expression on his face though. (laughs) Oh, it would have been so good. Hello everyone, my name is Jordan Reynolds, and with my friend Katie, we are both working to create and share art for all of our favorite fandoms at 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. We have bookmarks, so many stickers, earrings, prints of all sizes, super small, and all the way up to 24 by 30 inches to really show off all of your favorite characters. We have coloring books, keychains, and always more on the way. So if you want a Hobbit Hole bookmark, or a set of Legend of Zelda Korok earrings, stickers for all of your favorite Marvel characters, or a big wall art poster of the Night's Watch Vows words so that you can recite them every time you need to pump yourself up, head over to 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. You can even use the code WATCHPARTY10 to get a 10% discount. That's 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. All right. Our third question. Uh, what do you think of Damon's reaction to his brother sending aid? So I've seen two different interpretations of this, and I know which one I agree with. Uh, the first is that he's angry because his brother is finally stepping in. And they're at a point where by the time the king steps in, it's going to be too late. Like, it's too little too late. That's that's the first opinion that I've read. The second opinion is he's pissed because his big brother's coming to clean up his mess. And he's like, I want to prove that I don't need the king to get me out of this. I'm going to go and finish this myself before the king's men could get there. So I I believe that it's more the 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 latter that it's you know he's pissed that his brother's trying to step up and clean everything up for him and he wants to prove himself because that's what Damon always seems to want to do is prove himself to be worthy. So that's that's what I think about him getting pissed off. I'm like, dude, don't beat the messenger. <laughs> yeah, he's beating the shit out of that poor courier guy, but. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's my take on it, is that he was pissed that his, his brother finally said, I'll, I'll fix your problems for you. Yeah. And he didn't want that. Sure. I kind of I think that he... So I, I think that Damon does want uh, to be king. So I think that... I think if anything, the king stepping in for him was like, was like my opportunity, like you said, to kind of prove himself as like I could be fit to be king. Mm-hmm. was like kind of swept from under him because i feel like that's what also like Corliss, that was like something that Corliss used to like 
um, convince him to even go to the Stepstones in the first place. You know, he was mm-hmm. like, you got to go there. That's where you could prove yourself. Like, that's where you could go. So, like, the fact that he what didn't prove himself or, like, the fact that it's, like, basically turning into this failure, I think that, like... And, you know, there was, like, mutiny brewing as well. Like, people were not a fan of, like, everything he was doing. So, like, all of that plus, like, getting this letter from his brother of all people just... And, like, the letter itself, I kind of felt was a bit passive-aggressive in a way. Like, I think that Viserys, there was some truth to it, him being like, I don't want you to die, I don't want this and this. But, like, then at the end being like, I'm sending ten ships with this many men, like... I feel like there was a little bit of passive aggressive in there as an almost mm-hmm. like, like, you know, he does care, but he's also just like, hey, I'm going to come and save you now because I feel like it. And that also, I think, kind of got on, on Damon's nerves. So I think it was like a mix of just like he thought he was being slighted and and also he was like, I didn't prove myself. But as we saw, he did. So mm-hmm. it just took him to just kind of storm the beach himself and play around a little bit but he got there eventually so yeah Yeah. and i think i think that was an interesting tactic because they were saying that the crab feeders men were launching volleys so they couldn't get a they couldn't establish a beachhead just because the incoming in fire and then they were retreating to the caves whenever the dragons showed up so they couldn't really use the dragons to smoke them out right because if they got the dragons close enough to the caves the dragons couldn't get in they sure. could maybe blow some smoke and fire through, but we had no idea what the cave network was like. So, right, right. I think the, the trap was the only effective way to get them out, but it felt kind of silly. Like, wave at, it's like kind of like in video games or movies where they, instead of like everybody going after the guy, they kind of send group after group. Like, all right, wave one, go. Wave yeah. two, go. It's yeah. Just, <laughs> send them all. And then they waited on the archers. <laughs> yeah. But it was were... a very, it was an interesting strategy. I thought it was, yeah. it's, at some points I, I didn't really understand what was mm-hmm. even happening. I was like, is he just running in there doing it himself? And then they're showing up. Like it was, it was a, a pretty chaotic thing, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I feel like it kind of matches the stepstones in a way though, as well, where it's just like kind of a free for all of like, they're just figuring it out. And that's just like mm-hmm. kind of how the stepstones are. So, yeah, I, like I said, though, I miss seeing her axes in the final fight. It's like, yeah. yay, see smoke. Where's the other dragon? I want to see yeah. both of them. Caraxes is so cool. They have done such a good job, I thought, with, with how he's been made in this show. Well, they did a good job of differentiating the different dragons. Like Cyrax yeah. looks nothing like Caraxes, looks nothing like Sea Smoke. Mm-hmm. And you've got Cyrax you've got Cyrax uh Cyraxis with that really long neck. Yes. Caraxes with the with the skinny body and the little spindly legs. Mm-hmm. Um but I guess that's a good a good answer because he's always been called the blood worm and W Y R M sure. is the term for a snake like dragon. Yep. And the fact that they've made him more worm like with that elongated neck is really kind of a cool design choice. Yeah. It, it gives us a lot more visual variety. You could see the dragon and you know without really looking, okay, that's so and so's dragon. Okay, okay, based on the color, based on that. Because Danny's dragons all looked very similar to each other. They were all sure. very much the same. Well, they're probably from the same clutch, so they're brothers. Right. So it makes sense they'd look similar. Yeah. But these dragons are all very unique, and that's really kind of a cool visual for the fans, is to be able to pick out what dragon. And that's going to become really important, being able to pick out which dragon is which. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no spoilers, but that's going to be really important to pick out your dragons in a fight. So Yeah. They don't call it the Dance of Dragons that's, for no yeah, reason. Yeah, the Dance of Dragons. They're going to dance. <laughs> We're going to see lots of dragons, and they're going to be flying. So yeah. it'll be good to be able to identify them more readily during a fight. Uh, but yeah. so Sure. So our final question is, there is a lot of talk of prophecy uh, Game of Thrones had this as well, uh, but many prophetic concepts were dropped towards the end or left up to the audience interpretation. Do you think the show will more clearly show prophecies coming to pass? Well, I know based on uh, I I know not everybody watches the coming up next segment on the on the show, but they showed us more of that damn dagger, right? Yeah, that dagger holds a lot more we were making jokes about the dagger becoming the star of the show and it looks like it might just (laughs) yeah um because the dagger holds the prophecy of the prince that was promised 
and they talk about this in Game of Thrones, but it never really came to fruition, right? It it was like, okay, the prince that was promised is supposed to be Jon Snow, or I believe he's he's an Aegon, isn't he? Yes, yeah, yeah. He's an Jon Aegon. Snow's an Aegon, at least in the show. Yeah. In the show, well, no, that's right. That's that's yeah. from the books too. Is that he's that he's Aegon Targaryen? Okay, um, okay, yeah, because that that much we all figured out the book readers at least um but he's supposed to be the prince that was promised because he's of the targaryen bloodline or does it mean daenerys because a prince could refer to a woman as well uh, it, basically sure. prince can mean ruler yeah uh but neither of them really played too much of a role in the destruction of the night king right that was more bran and Arya. Brand being the bait, Arya being the delivery method with the knife. Uh, so it, it, I'm not sure that's how it's going to end with George's version. Sure. So it feels like they're trying to try to stick to more of what George has said with the whole idea of the Targaryen dynasty being the ones behind the prophecy. And there were a lot more prophecies that Daenerys was given that just kind of went nowhere. Yeah for whatever reason there's a lot of drop plot elements in game of thrones that yeah that are that are relevant to the books that may be more relevant to the story once it's actually finished but it because we're talking about a retroactive story this is somewhere before all of game of thrones this is somewhat of a different timeline altogether sure i think that they may be able to set that up and explain it better and maybe come up with some justifications for how it worked out yeah um so I think they'll I think they'll do a better job of establishing the prophecies that we know about in Game of Thrones since they are connected to each other. But this does feel a little disconnect. Like this may be trying to stick truer to the George version than the D and D version of the storyline. Sure. So Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my thought. I kinda I kinda think that because I George I think has said this before where he said that like prophecies can be wrong Mm -hmm. and i think that he sometimes leans too hard into that uh into that thought like i think that he likes throwing prophecies in as like more of a uh like um distraction from like the actual story (laughs) like i think that he just is like i'm gonna throw this in here just to mess with people people are gonna go off on it or whatever um the prince that was promised i think is like a big one when it comes to um, him, kind of like the because I, I feel like the prince of the prince that was promised, I feel like is one of the most theorized, like in conspiracy and like mm-hmm. um, conspiracy written about, like just because of like what with Jon Snow and like the ending of the book and all this kind of stuff. So I feel like I, I could see the prophecy still not becoming a thing in the in the books um or it would be in a way that's like kind of different like i've seen people argue that yes like daenerys and john weren't the ones that like killed the night king but they like kind of brought everyone like together to get to the point so like people think that that's a reason that they would be considered the prince princess that was promised and like and how like in valyrian i think they said that print the word for prince is like genderless so like like yeah. you were saying like that can mean any like man or one and prince princess so like i i feel like with the prophecies i i think it's weird to watch this show knowing how game of thrones ended because it's like okay you guys are doing this prophecy thing but is it like are we canon here with game of thrones or are we canon with like the later story yeah. like what are we kind of doing so but like I, I like how i'm hoping that the way that they're going to portray it is more is less about like when what's going to happen with the prophecy and more how it affects like the actual story so like instead of like oh what's good like how's the prophecy end? we have to get to the end of the prophecy it's more like how they all react to it so like how does Viserys react by telling Rhaenyra and like does he tell Alicent who like will tell someone like is it going to become this secret that gets passed around or like mm-hmm. is it what drives like Rhaenyra later like I, th- I hope that it uses more of a plot point like that more than like what's the prophecy later because like we saw it happen and I, I don't want to get like into the prophecy when it's like okay well like whoa the books are different and like I hope the books are different in the way they do it but like I think a plot point would be would be better used at least that's that's kind of how I feel about it but 
Yeah. What do you think about Viserys' dream? Because he talks about the power of prophecy being hereditary. And we know Daenerys, yeah. Denise the Dreamer, is the first one to see the dream of Valeria. Yep. But he talks about the dream of seeing a son of his sitting on the Iron Throne. Yeah. But by the same time, he also says that he has complete faith in Rhaenyra sitting on the Iron Throne. Right. As his daughter. But he was very clear that it was a boy he saw sitting on the Iron Throne. Yeah. And all I the think dragons it... roared as one. Yeah. I think, like, <laughs> I think Targaryens, speaking of, like, prophecies and them not coming true and how the Targaryens, I mean, the Targaryens, I feel like, put way too much stake into prophecies and dreams and visions and stuff like that. Um, you know, like people have dreams all the time, like, like that, like these like crazy <laughs> dreams and like, but you know, for Targaryens, they have a dream and they're like, no, that's the future. That's like what I'm seeing. But I think it's interesting that he's so, he acts like he's so certain it's a boy. Like, I, I feel like that could go to the fact that like the prince princess that was promised, like maybe that's just him mis misinterpreting or something or like, mm -hmm. you know, like just because there's a boy there doesn't mean that it can't be a, be a girl or like, mm -hmm. you know, like what makes him so sure that it's a boy on the throne. So I like I, I think that he's like kind of falling into it a little bit too hard. And I think because he focused on that dream so much, it's why, you know, um, it, it's it's why like uh oh my god and uh, like emma like why she died like why he was so aggressive about having a boy and like and i i, I think i feel like we're seeing him to start kind of unwind a little bit because of this prophecy and because of all this that kind of stuff so like i don't know i i i think he's focusing way too hard on it i think that it's like controlling him a little bit too much and like he's brought it up i think every episode at this point mm -hmm. i i almost am interested to see if he well, he finally talked to Allison about it, and I'm wondering if, like, he this, like, continued conversation with Allison about this, like, male heir is going to cause Allison to start to also kind of believe in the prophecy, so. And, but, and push Aegon's claim over Rhaenyra. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, she'll be like, well, Viserys' dream said this, so, you know, and I feel like as soon as Otto hears, if Otto hears it, I mean, he's going to. Yeah, well, Otto's, Otto's already pushing. So yeah. I mean, if he gets if he gets news of a prophecy for a Targaryen oh male, gosh. he'll be all over that like you know, ridiculously like flies on shit. So yeah, he'll push that super hard. But yeah, yeah. what do you think of Viserys's dreams? I think that, um, the thundering of hooves. I think he's predicting what's going to happen, which I won't talk about. Cause, you know, spoilers. Um, I think I think he's misinterpreting it entirely entirely wrong which is something that george does a lot is people yep. hear prophecies they think x but it's actually y i think in this case it's going to be more like y and z where it's an indication of what's going to happen with him with his children but he's looking at it from the wrong perspective sure so i, I like i said i can't really go into what i think overall just because you know we we know what's coming we don't want to ruin right. it for any of the the listeners that that don't but we'll, it will probably see how, since they've made mention of it at least twice now, I think we'll see more of it or hear more of it because it's it's something that they're putting emphasis on. Like, this sure. is the dream that I had. This is the vision that I had. And so I think we'll hear more about it as more of the story unfolds, like how, how he interprets this dream with new information brought in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that's that's what I think on that topic. I mean, that's a pretty loaded topic since we don't know for sure. We know some things for sure. We know some things may be left to interpretation. Right. But that's we the know thing that with the prophecy. George, yeah, we just we know that George likes to fuck with us with these prophecies <laughs> and dreams. He, I think he like just gets his like bag of popcorn and watches it unfold and then goes on Twitter or whatever or social <laughs> he goes media into and just Reddit. <laughs> yeah, he just enjoys everybody like going off on it. It's probably why we don't have any books finished. Yet, so. <laughs> he's just too busy reading fan comments. Yeah, he's just like enjoying it too much. So, <laughs> but uh, that is our fire and blood's blood segment. Uh, for our final segment, we have the Fans of the Dragon, where Constance will give us a trivia, some polls um, about the World of Ice and Fire, and some questions and comments from you, the listeners. Um, all you, Constance. Thank you. 
So our trivia today is who became a famous prostitute after being sold into slavery, who was given a shout out by the court ladies during the hunt. Uh, what is her name? So that's today's trivia. Uh, the alternative question is what nickname did we give Sir Christian Cole this time? <laughs> Since he never, we always seem to give him a nickname. Uh, but that's, so that's the alternative question. And I do have a poll here that Uzma took for us. And I don't have a copy of the document, but I could just read it to you. After watching episode three, who do you ship Rhaenyra with? The options were Damon Targaryen, Kristen Cole, Laenor Valarian, Jason Lannister, Alicent Hightower, and Aegon II, submitted by Otto. <laughs> the fans overwhelmingly chose Damon and Christian with a tie at 41% of the votes each. I love it. Yeah. So uh, in, in third place was Lenor at with 9%. So the audience overwhelmingly ships Rhaenyra and her uncle or Rhaenyra and her knight in shining armor. So that is our fan poll. We don't have any letters. You know, if you want to send in some comments or concerns, please do so. We'd love to talk about that on the air with you or at least towards you. Uh, and that leads us to our last segment today, which is ready, Sam? Yep, yep. Who's, Who's that, that Dragon? <laughs> oh, there's only two of us. We can't even get it right. <laughs> it would be wrong if we did. That's true. It would be it would be a crime against nature if we actually did that in unison. <laughs> Especially without everybody here. That would be yeah, so messed up. That would just be wrong. It's like we finally got it right. It just took two of us to do it. <laughs> um so today's Dragon is a pale silver gray with darker highlights and a blazing fire. He is quick, nimble, and smaller than most dragons, and his first rider was Lenor Valerian. Lenor himself was born in 92 to the sea after conquest to the sea snake and the queen who never was. And while the show presents a princess Rhaenys as the heir to be decided upon by the great council, in the book it was actually young Lenor's claim that they had presented to the Iron Throne. Lenor himself was only seven at the time, and being from the female line, his claim was less desirable. But nonetheless, both the Baratheons and the Starks supported his claim. But we all know that the lords chose Viserys, and that set us on the path that we're on. Now, being born of Targaryen blood through his mother, Laenor was given a dragon's egg, which hatched at the end of the first century after conquest. Laenor bonded with his dragon as early as 101 AC, but the pale beast was too small to ride at the time. By the end of the Stepstones War in 108 after conquest, our dragon was not only big enough to ride, but mature enough to spit molten fire over the Triarchy's pirates. After Prince Daemon Targaryen single-handedly drew out the crabfeeder's men, Laenor threw his dragon over the assembled forces and gave Daemon the chance he needed to pursue and kill the crabfeeder, who was cut in twain. Laenor and his dragon have a much larger role to play in the drama unfolding, but for today we present our dragon, Sea Smoke. And that's it for fans of the dragon, Sam. Let's uh, let's take it out. Let's close the show out. Just you and me. Cool. <laughs> that is our episode. Thank you for listening for our to our special edition, the uh, Constance and Sam hour. Uh, yeah, just a on... just little over an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean we're pretty close. <laughs> uh, follow us on Facebook at A W P O A I F, um, and Twitter at Eisenfire Party. Uh, and email us at watchpartyoficeandfire at gmail.com. If you are watching on YouTube, feel free to comment below. Uh, a massive thank you to our producer, Jordan Reynolds, for editing and putting the episode together. Uh, he is our shield who guards the realm from our errors. Uh, and be sure to check out our friends over at Watch Party Lord of the Rings for the Ring of Power series. Uh, I believe the third episode is coming out this week. Uh, every Saturday, they will be releasing a hot take of the latest Ring of Power episode. And on Sundays, a big old live stream at 1130 a.m. Pacific time in collaboration with Fellowship of Fans. Featuring a newbie panel with no book spoilers, a lore panel, Tolkien artists, cosplay, and custom food and drink recipes made by yours truly. Uh, people can call in, participate live, and the stream will then be posted on their podcast a few days later. So hop on your eagles, saddle up Brego, and head on over and check it out. Uh, we also have our, our friends Watch Party of Wheel of Time who are taking a little hiatus um, while House of the Dragon and Ring of Power air, but they have 41 episodes for you to enjoy. This has been a production of the Watch Party Network. Thank you again so much for listening to us. 
Um, our hosts, Solar, Uzma, and Morgan aren't here. Um, but thank you so much again for listening to this special edition. Um, we are your hosts again, Constance. As high as honor. And myself, Sam. Uh, Valar Margulis.